talk to you about Houdini, and there's so much to cover, so I'm just going to go right into it. So I love this meme. When I was a pup, I had one toy, and it was a stick. And I think about this as like, this is like writing CSS 15 years ago, where we didn't have the technology that we have today. We have grid, we have custom properties, there's so much at our hands, and it makes writing styles for the web such a joy. CSS still has its downfalls, its challenges. Right? Let's talk about form styling. Why? Why can't we style forms in 2019, like dropdowns? If you're familiar with W3Schools, it's like a uh, CSS, HTML, and JavaScript sort of education site that shows you the basic ways to uh, write web for the code. Um, and so I saw this custom dropdown on there, and I thought, oh, cool. And so the steps that I'm looking for is like, OK, we add HTML. That sounds about right. We're adding CSS. Fine. There's like some weird pseudo elements there. And then I scroll down and it's JavaScript. And I'm like, oh, still today. Um, and it's so frustrating because I like to separate my logic and my styling. Can't do this on the web. We can make gradients on the web. And gradients are cool, dynamic. You can create a comma separated list of values. This is all live on the page. You can adjust these things. You can remove gradients. You can layer them. So they become this really great tool when you're creating filters, filter effects on images or just backgrounds on the page. I love using it on the web. You can't read conic gradients yet. Conic gradients start at the top point and they go around a center point back to that top point. So if we wanted to create a continuous, a conti if we wanted to create a continuous conic gradient, we would just add the same color for the first value and the last value and we have a continuation there. But when we look at can I use, we can see that conic gradients are not very well supported. And so we can't really use those on the web. Animated gradients are also something that doesn't currently exist in CSS. Um, right here, I have an example where I have a div. And when I hover it, I'm converting from red to blue. So that's what I'm trying to do inside this linear gradient. I'm setting it to go to right, and it's going from red to blue, and then transferring to deep pink. And as you can see, when I hover on this gradient, this div, it's not able to transition that value. And we'll get into that a little bit later. So not able to do on the web. Custom borders are something that you can kind of do on the web. We have a border image property, which is pretty cool, but it's still pretty limited. Because if you wanted to do something like a corner shape, which would mask your image as well as apply a border shape on that element, this is not something that you can do. And this is from a 2013 uh, spec from Leah Veru who tried to push this forward and it never really got into browsers. Sad. But there's Houdini. Houdini is super exciting. Who here has heard of Houdini? Awesome. Who here has used Houdini? There's like five people and the people who like wrote the spec right here in the front. Um, so I get to present to them. Thank you. <laughs> Houdini, if you haven't heard of Houdini, it's really, really cool. It's basically a low-level API for CSS, and more accurately, it's a series of APIs that give developers access to the CSS object model and allow us to tell the browser how we want it to read our CSS code. So this is kind of what happens now. If you want to style something on the web that doesn't currently exist as a CSS property and value pair, as something that you can write in CSS, you have to write a JavaScript polyfill for it. 
So your uh, browser goes through this parser step, it reads the DOM, it reads the CSS object model, goes through cascade layout, paint, and composite, and then you have to do that all over again with the JavaScript polyfill because you're reapplying styles to the page after it's already loaded once. But with Houdini, we can apply those styles directly to the CSS. So we have so much power as developers now because we can tell the browser at that CSS step what it should be doing when it's reading our code. Exciting. So while it takes a while for specs to sort of get implemented in browsers, that's sort of like this big dog here taking its time, that's a good thing. We don't want the browsers to just implement anything. But if you wanted a feature that doesn't currently exist, you can be like this little pupper, zooming by, creating your own tech, creating your own CSS polyfills, writing JavaScript to do it, and it exists in the browser. It's pretty cool. So the best resource for this right now is ishoudiniReadyYet.com, and in here we list all of the browsers that have agreed to implement this spec, as well as the W3 spec to actually go and read, and the current state of the, basically the can I use for Houdini. And as you can see, it's very experimental, it's very much a work in progress. Um, the most supported uh, APIs are the paint API and the typed object model. And so, because we have limited time, that's what we're going to focus on here today. So let's start with the typed object model. So the typed object model allows for us to have more semantic CSS parsing. So what does that mean? Right now, when the browser reads CSS, it has to go through this whole string-based regex parsing, and that's slow. So it's looking at this, it's looking for an ID or a property or a class, it's looking for a specific keyword in that string, which is like the dot here. And then the string from that dot until that open curly brace, then it's looking for a property value, a uh, colon, a value, a unit, and it's looking for the semicolon. It has to make sure all of those are accurate values and they work properly. So this can get really messy uh, really fast, and it's just so much slower than having some structured data. So the typed object model provides that structured data for CSS, and that makes it a lot faster to parse. So we can do get com uh, computed style map dot get a value like height, and we return a CSS unit value, which is this object that returns a value and a unit. So this is a lot more semantic, and so therefore it makes it faster to read through that CSS. And so here what I'm doing is I just have a box it has width and height, and we can explore. We can get properties from computed style map, and we can also set properties. So you could do uh, attribute style map dot set property, and then I could specify CSS.number, giving it a type, and then it's going to update that, and when we console that again, we see that we're getting our height and our opacity. And if you do look at this in DevTools, you will get the CSS unit value object um, where you have that uh, unit and value separated out. So that leads me to the Properties and Values API, which I think is one of the most exciting things to happen to the web in a while, but I'm biased, I love CSS. Um, have, has anyone here used custom properties right now? Yeah. Okay, cool, that's like probably 30% of you. Um, custom properties are really great because they're actual dynamic CSS variables that we have in the browser. So unlike SAS where you have a static variable that you're um, using, it's gonna port out to just some, some value. 
Here, you can actually update these in JavaScript. You can separate your logic and your styling again because you can keep the style part in CSS and do the logic to change that value inside of your JavaScript and then pass it. And they're super, super dynamic and cool. Um, so you get a name and a value with your basic custom properties. But with the properties and values API, you get so much more than that. You can specify a name for it, a syntax for it, an initial value definition, and if it isn't going to inherit from its parent. So let's take a look at that example again with the gradient. So here we have our box, and um, I have a color, so this custom property, and I'm transitioning from that color. I'm specifying the transition is going to be one second long, and on hover, it's going to turn blue. So again, still not getting an interaction here. It should take one second to transition that color. But we can register a property called color stop. We can call this whatever we want. So here I have color stop. The syntax is color. I'm specifying that syntax. I'm not going to have it inherit, and the initial value will be transparent. So now if I update all of this, if I update this to color stop, if I update this value here also to color stop, and I update the transition to color stop, if I create the hover to match all of those and run this, it's going to slowly fade into the blue. I love visual demos. They get <laughs> it's just like, wow, I typed one thing differently. I've registered a property. There's so much meaning behind that property now. It's not just a string value. So there's actual meaning for the browser to understand interpolation between these two color values. The other cool thing about custom properties is that you can set initial values. And so you can set fallback values. So here I have two registered properties. I have color primary and color secondary. And if you look at the CSS, what we're doing is we're transitioning from color primary to color secondary on hover. So we're getting that animation. We're getting that one second transition. But if you notice, I'm not actually specifying that custom property, that variable inside of the CSS here. I don't have to do that because I've registered it in the CSS.register property. So I can update color primary. I can um, do color primary red. And then if I run this, it'll update to red. There's no problem there. We can always update it. But if I don't have a value here, or if I have a falsy value, like 23, it'll always fall back to that blue violet. Now let me show you what happens when I don't register a custom property. If I have 23 and I, that's an invalid value there for color in the background, and I run this, it's going to fall back to transparent because it doesn't know how to read that value. And the best thing about CSS is that when there is a false line, it doesn't crash your program. It just ignores that line so you can continue living your life. But it's something that we can now look forward to with this sort of error handling and type checking for a CSS. And so this is kind of like having typed CSS variables. And I think that's great for CSS systems, design systems, making sure that everything is super cohesive and aligned when you're building for the web with CSS with your team. So now I want to talk about the paint worklets. And the paint worklet, if you've heard of service workers or web workers, kind of works the same in that it's a layer between your network and your website. So service workers allow for offline cash, pre-rendering your assets, push notifications, and that's because they live in this in-between. When you open that website, you register that worklet onto your website, and then you have the information from that worklet, whether they be a cache or whatever else, so you can always access that even if your network is offline. So if we are registering our worklets, if we're working with the paint worklet or the animation worklet or the layout worklet, what we do is in our JavaScript, we will register that worklet type. So if we're using paint, it's register paint. We give it a name. I'm using a class here. You can just 
put it all in there. Um, in HTML, we need to do css.paintworklet.addModule to add it to the page. And then you call um, what you're naming the register paint. And then in CSS, you would specify that worklet by name. So I called it fun in this example. And in the CSS, I will be able to background paint fun. So is this JavaScript and CSS? <gasps> yes. So let's take a look at this little example that I made. Uh, it's just some text, and what I'm doing is I wrote this little rainbow ties worklet where I'm just going from the top left to bottom right and adjusting the size with these pixel values. And then um, in the HTML, I'm adding the worklet to, uh, to CSS, css.paintworklet.addModule. And in the style, the way that I get to use it is just by setting a background image. You can set a border image. You can use this in any way you want. And it's just one line of code to get all of those effects in CSS. Separate those concerns. Here's our conic gradient again. So you can write polyfills. Like right now, there is a polyfill. You can pull that into here. Um, this polyfill is by Leah Faroux. We're writing out this worklet to allow for conic gradients. And also, you can send in context geometry properties and arguments. So sending in those arguments allows us to, in the CSS, type in here um, red. And then we can run this, and in the browser, we get sort of what we saw before where that gradient is now a full circle, which is pretty cool. The feature syntax is going to allow for us to use these in variables where we can do background conic gradient, and then inside of that um, have this syntax, but right now that doesn't work. Again, this is very experimental, don't at me. This is a lot like extending the web, and that's really cool. You're extending the web with CSS. So I work, on material, I work on material design now, and one of the things that we do is provide a platform for developers to create their own customized themes. And so that includes color, typography, it also includes shape. And this example is one of the uh, samples called Shrine, where we have this angular shape. So these are the two things that we have as shape uh, sort of specs, and so rounded corner is one, and you can definitely do that on the web. But a cut corner is not something that we can do on the web yet. And like I showed earlier, that corner shape um, spec never really got put into the browser. But we can sort of work around this. You can create a CSS uh, Houdini paint worklet. And this is one that I made to just specify the different corner radiuses. Paint style could be outline or um, filled. And you can just start to really play and get a really good feel for this. You can use masking as well as background. I know the examples I was showing was using background, but when you're using WebKit mask image, you specify what you're putting um, as your mask on top of any element, so that's kind of what you get for the output. And then I combine these techniques to recreate these material buttons, but with all of the notches here. So these are the original buttons, and a big challenge here was containing that uh, effect when you hovered, that ripple effect. And so I used a mixture of background and mask when I was creating this notch corners worklet and applying it in the CSS to these outlined buttons and filled buttons. So you could take existing infrastructure and just progressively enhance it because you can use that supports. Um, if you're using background, you don't even need to use that supports because it'll just fall back to the previous lines in CSS. Um, and this is the way that we can integrate it into our UIs now. So let's make some magic. I'm going to do a live demo here. Wish me luck. Warnings, um, this is experimental, so have experimental web platform features enabled. The Paint API is enabled in Chrome Stable, but sometimes things happen. Um, also, you must be using HTTPS or a local host, and that's because this worklet does live outside of your page. You've registered it, and it's just for security. And I hope this works.
<laughs> so let's start with a canvas. I have a canvas here that I've set up. And so it's just giving it a width and height. I'm going to zoom in here so you can see this a little better. And so inside of my JavaScript, what I'm doing is I just have a random function. I'm setting up the canvas. I'm giving some parameters for a sparkle height, um, width, weight, and um, position. It's going to randomize the height, width, and weight of that. It's going to randomize the position of that. We're going to set the stroke color. We're going to then paint this. So that's why every time I refresh, I'm going to get a random sparkle on this page. But we don't want one sparkle, right? We want probably multiple sparkles. So let's set 30 sparkles. We are creating a loop here so it could loop through and apply those sparkles. So now, once this reloads, we have all the sparkles. We have 30. That's a good start. Um, I feel like this color yellow is a bit uh, too similar here. So we can use HSL values to get a really uh, saturated value. So I'm doing a random number between 90 and 100. Hue is going to be around the yellow slash orange range. And light is going to be the thing that changes the most. So then I can just get rid of our color. And so we have this canvas. But I want to convert that now into a paint worklet, right? So let's get rid of all of this. And let's use something that we're all familiar with, and that is the X. Let's hope this works. This is the code pen for the X. So did you know that this X is running in a code pen, and you can go and change it? The main thing here is that all the tiles sort of keep their position. So I'll show you what that looks like here. And if I zoom out all the way, you can see that this is the layout for the X up there. And we're going to try to make some Houdini magic work in that X. So what we need to do now, since we got rid of the canvas in the HTML, is get rid of the canvas in the JavaScript, since we're not using this stuff anymore. And we have to start writing a worklet. So let's do that. Let's do a little type check so we can say if um, type of register paint is not equal to undefined, then we will create a class. So we'll create a class called Sparkles, whoop. And then inside of that, we want to use paint. So we're going to get the context and the size of the div that we want to apply this to. And um, from there, we want to just put all of this inside of here. So everything that we just did, we created those sparkles. We're going to place those inside here. So now I have the beginnings of a worklet, but we have to register it. So let's go right outside of our statement where we're checking to see if this is even supported. And we'll do a register paint. And we'll do sparkles as the name of it. And we have to call that class sparkles. So what we have to do now is make sure that we're getting the size and height not from the canvas, but from the element. So we have to update that to size.width and size.height. We have to make sure that we're going in here and actually calling this JavaScript code. And so the way to do that inside of CodePen is to use your pen ID. It's a little hacky. So I'm going to write a script. And now I have to register this in HTML. So I'm going to go down here. I'm going to do css.paintworklet dot add module, and then I'm going to type that URL, dot JS, because it's going to then link to this file in theory. So I'm just going to save that. And then inside of our tile, which is every single one of those tiles, I'm going to do a background paint sparkles. And if this all worked out, we'll see some sparkles. Sometimes I have to refresh for it to work. Oh, no. What happened? Okay.
let's go through this. All right, so we've registered our worklet. It has a name. We are adding it to the HTML with this script, css.paintworklet.add module. And we're applying this to our tile with the name that we called for the tile. Well, this is not working, so we're just going to do this inside of a, another little starter. And I, I'll just show you what it's supposed to look like, because this worked this morning, I swear. So we have a backup. <laughs> um, darn, I wish that worked so much. That would have been so cool. Okay, so you can play with these slides. You can play with that code pen, which is really, really cool. Um, what I did next was I got these input properties. So I'm pulling in the input properties from our um, document here where I'm creating a custom property called SparkleNum. The way that I'm animating it is creating a keyframe called Sparkle, and I'm pulling those values in and updating those and using that as my animation. Since this is not a registered property, it's not going to interpolate between those values, so you can actually specify how slow you want the animation to be. It's not going to interpolate those every time, um, thing I learned yesterday. So. That's sort of what that looks like, but remember when I mentioned that this was truly JavaScript in CSS? So IMVideo, who creates CSSHoudini.rocks, created this demo where he uh, created a worklet that just evaluates a custom property. So you can basically, in your CSS, put all of this code, and then you can apply the background paint inside of your CSS, and it's super, super meta, but like you're writing all your JavaScript and CSS and able to apply it, so it's kind of fun. I thought you might like that. <laughs> but so, <laughs> thank you. So there are some caveats to this approach, and that is that it's semicolon sensitive, so if you write, like to write your JavaScript without semicolons, not going to work. You have to do that because the way that it parses. Also, your variables must be there at instantiation. They're not dynamic, so you can't really get those static properties and then apply those here. You just have to have it all in one place. I would love it if that could be its own custom property that you include inside of your elements, but you can't do that right now. You just have to make sure it's all in one place, if you do that method, which I don't think is the best solution. But now I want to talk about something extra, because it never hurts to be a little extra. And extra.css is a little library that I've been working on that allows you to use Houdini today in your own applications. This is a CSS Houdini paint API library for making your sites a little more extra. And you can go to extra-css.netlify.com to check it out. So what we can do here is play with all of these different things, like the sparkle demo. You can change the number of sparkles. Um, you can make them bigger by changing the width variance, the height variance. You can change the weight to make them thicker. Uh, you can create this little scalloped border, which changes the number of scallops, give it any color you want. Um, you can play with the weight of that. So you can adjust that here. Um, why have one underline when you can have many underlines? So we have super underline. You can adjust the number of underlines, the spread of those underlines, the weight of those underlines, and just have a little fun playing with that. Um, there's a cross out, so you can adjust this color too. Um, you can change the weight of this cross out. And then confetti, because who doesn't like confetti? Confetti is a 
a fun little thing to add to any website. And here you have control over what that looks like. So the way to use it is you can use this right now by setting it up with one CDN link. So inside of the HTML, this example, I'm going to close that result. Um, what I'm doing is we're just including the worklet as a file. Um, shout out to Mike Ruth Mueller, who's my first contributor and was working on this with me yesterday. Thank you. Um, yay, JSConf. <laughs> so, so here you can include your script, and then inside of your CSS, you can set properties if you want to override them, or you can just use background paint, extra crossout, and it'll take the default values, as I showed you before. So with one line of code, one script inclusion, and one line of CSS, you can have Houdini working right now in Chrome Stable, in the future edge, which I also tested these slides on, and they worked, so that was pretty cool. Um, and so I hope to see a lot more of this in the future. I think it's a really great way that gives developers so much control over the styles of our websites. So um, you can combine all those things to make layouts like this. And as Aga said, I do sing songs for every intro to my podcast. So I thought that I would end this with a little ditty. Can I get some music? All right. I'm not a great singer, but I'm doing this for you all. Thought I'd try out Bootstrap, but it wasn't a match. Built a website with stylus, now I've used Source and Laugh. Even almost went native. For CSS, I'm so thankful. Wish I could say thank you to WebGL. I still don't understand it though. One taught me love. One taught me build patience. One taught me pain. Now my page looks amazing. I've learned and I've shipped. But please don't look at it if it's from 2012. Cause changing tech is a habit. And to that I say thank you. Next. Thank you.